Welcome to the Two Cent Dad podcast, where we interview dads to discuss their journeys of intentional fatherhood while doing work they care about and living a life of purpose. I'm your host, Mike Sudik. When, when my daughter was, um, was quite young, she had a real facility for drawing, really enjoyed it, you know. Um, but I'm not going to steal her pleasure by saying, oh, that's so beautiful. What a lovely, colorful drawing. I really like your use of, you know, with this, this is training her to be less interested in drawing and to see drawing as a means to the end of getting my approval. Do you feel inadequate as a parent? Do you feel like others are judging you personally based on the behavior of your children? Do you fear that maybe you'll baby your children too much? Of course you do, we all do. And if you're a normal parent, then you struggle with all these things. Well, Alfie Cohen, the guest on today's podcast episode, is the leading expert in human behavior and parenting. He's authored several bestsellers, including Punished by Rewards and Unconditional Parenting, among others. And I'm honored to be able to have him on the show today. And I look forward to him sharing his knowledge with you as he tackles some of these fears and some of these approaches to parenting. And he really dives into challenging why we do what we do as parents. It's definitely controversial. It's you know, thought-provoking. So I, you know, real excited to share this with you guys. Well, today is a very special episode. I am very honored to have Alfie Cohen on the show, who is a best-selling author of multiple books, um, two of which I recently read, Punished by Rewards and Unconditional Parenting. So Alfie is a thought-provoking, challenging um, writer that, that talks about how do we raise our kids um, to not only boost intrinsic motivation, um, but also just to raise good people. And so he really goes against a lot of the um, traditional schooling methods and very insightful guy, and I'm, I'm honored to have him on the show. So thank you so much, Alfie, for taking the time. I'm glad to be here. So I, one of the things I'm really curious about is how you got started in all this. So, you know, take me back to the beginning and, and the journey to get you to where you are today. Uh, well, I guess that depends on how broadly you define where I am today. I've been writing about issues having to do with human behavior, um, including education and parenting, for some time now. Um, Punished by Rewards, which is a book that argues against the idea of dangling goodies in front of people to get them to do what we want at work, at home, or at school, grew out of an earlier book I'd written about the destructive effects of competition. And if you like, I can connect those dots for you if you want. Um, but later I began to write books more specifically either about schooling or parenting. And Unconditional Parenting was my, my, my first and major book just about the idea of raising kids. And, um, of course, it pulled with it some of the themes and ideas and challenges that I had begun to raise in earlier books. Sure. Yeah, I know, you know, I just finished up Unconditional Parenting, and, and one of the lines that stuck with me in that book is you say, in my experience, what distinguishes truly great parents is their willingness to confront troubling questions about what they've been doing and what has been done to them. And, you know, I was I was just challenged by that, and I, I don't know if you could unpack that a little bit in in how to approach that way of thinking, you know, maybe for someone that hasn't read the book. Sure. Well, um, Good parenting is not just about a bunch of skills 
uh, and certainly not about particular behaviors that you employ with your children. It's about much bigger questions about how we want our children to turn out in the long run. And that shift from how do I get my kid into the bathtub or out of the bathtub or into or out of the car or the bed, how to put out fires, so to speak, and get kids to do what we want them to do right now and shift into a much bigger, deeper set of issues having to do with the kind of people we'd like them to become, that takes a sense of perspective. It takes an ability to look beyond compliance and to look beyond the short run. And that's very hard to do because the vast majority of books for parents and other resources for them are really based on the question, how do we get kids to do whatever we want them to do? And they offer a whole bunch of, of, uh, of techniques, basically, of gimmicks. Some of them are more thoughtful than others. Some of them are kinder than others. But they're all basically about control. And what I try to do in unconditional parenting is to encourage parents to look beyond the short term and beneath behavior. In fact, at one point I even said that you can uh, evaluate the usefulness of any parenting resource in inverse proportion to the number of times the word behavior appears. <laughs> the more focus there is on just the actions that you can see and measure, the less likely it is that we're going to get to the needs, the values, um, the motives that underlie and inform behaviors. And so this is a book about moving from a doing-to approach to being with children, which is focused on compliance, to a working with approach in which we help them to grow into decent, responsible, ethical, happy people. Yeah. And I think that's, that was, you know, that obviously the core message in the book, um, one, one, that, you know, for someone that hadn't read the book and, and, you know, I know that there are skeptics that might say the things that would go against that. Um, and you, you hit on that a little bit in like the fears section, when you talk about what's maybe the motivating factor behind the popular way to go about parenting, which is that control. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you talk about parental inadequacy or fear of being judged, which I know are huge that I've seen in my own life. You know, you 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 don't want to be looked at as a bad parent if your kid isn't, you know, standing right in line and behaving, you know, perfectly. Um, I, I just wondered if you, you know, in conversations you've had with people, how you feel like that has changed with, you know, younger generations with social media and this kind of fake perception of, of a perfect life. And that's how that's maybe played into some of the themes that you have in your book. Does that make sense? Well, um, let's, let's start by looking at that question of the fear of being judged and thought inadequate as a parent. Uh, there's two things going on there, I think. One is just our fear of being judged, and it's no wonder that people become worse parents in public, because there are more people, even though they're strangers, who are looking, watching, potentially tisking their tongues. But the other feature of that is not just our fear of being judged, but what our culture judges to be good parenting. And there, it's rather disturbing to report that good parenting consists not of what is 
supporting our kids and meeting their needs. But what keeps kids quiet and obedient? We're much more likely to be judged negatively by folks, sometimes folks we know, our own parents or in-laws, for example, but also by complete strangers on the street. We're likely to be judged negatively um, for under-controlling kids than for over-controlling them. Even though the true problem in this culture is not kids running wild who are spoiled, that's the dominant conservative narrative, the real problem is the number of parents who basically bully their children um, into doing whatever the parent unilaterally wants, irrespective of whether that's really in the child's best interest. So hypothetically, you could imagine a, a culture in which we are afraid of being judged by strangers for being insufficiently attentive to our children and what they need. That would still be fear driving it, but that would be a mirror image, you know, an alternate universe. Here, a good child is a child who isn't a pain in the ass to everyone else, who sits there quietly and does whatever he or she is told, regardless of whether it was reasonable to expect the child to do that. So we have to overcome not only our own fears, we have to swim upstream to challenge the dominant approach to parenting in our culture. Now, that has not really changed as far as I can tell, to answer the latter part of your question, um, with, with social media or with slight changes in techniques. So, for example, these days, um, at least in many subcultures of, of North America, it is less common to just wail off often hit a kid, smack him, especially in public. That's often frowned on. But while the techniques for getting compliance have changed, the goal of compliance sadly has not. And that's what I was trying to do in unconditional parenting, is encourage people to ask not just what method should we use, can we find a groovier one, um, a jazzier one, a nicer one, but can we challenge our own need to win battles, to get kids to obey us, and instead look past that um, to more substantive and, and humane objectives for our kids? Yeah, and I think a lot of people don't know what those needs are. Um, so the easy way is to go just with the obedience, right? It's, it's, right? it's No, it's I don't line. agree with that. I, I I don't think it's that hard to figure out what kids need. I don't see evidence of people struggling with that. I see people instead uh, pushing aside the question of what kids need and instead asking the question, what do I want? Mm. You know, um, on one level, what kids need, what all human beings need, we can describe as some psychologists have. We want a chance to have some impact on our own lives, a sense of autonomy, um, where we're not merely controlled by others. We also want a sense of connection, love, belongingness, uh, relationship with others. And, you know, we want a sense to feel competent, to acquire new skills um, and capabilities. You know, those are basic human needs. Um, and they are often trampled when somebody else 
in a family, in a school, or in a workplace is simply trying to get what they want us to do, to jump through hoops. Um, Beyond those widely shared human needs, there are also needs and wants of particular individuals. And we have to sort of be quiet and elicit and listen. As I like to say, a lot of parenting advice can be summarized in good parenting advice in four words, talk less, ask more. And there are different ways of asking, figuratively speaking, for children who may be too young to articulate. But if we uh, tune in to even an infant, we can find out what this particular child needs on this particular day. And then the question becomes, are we willing to try to make that happen? The best parents are asking the question, what does my kid need and how can I meet those needs? Unfortunately, most parenting books are answering the question, how do I get my kid to do whatever I want? Mm-hmm. And is that is that just because they haven't had those needs met with them? Like it's a continuous cycle? Is that why? Or is it just a convenience factor? It's just pure selfishness? or? Um, it could be all of those and more. <laughs> I, I don't want to be so simplistic as to say that we do it to our own kids just because of what was done to us. Mm-hmm. That's a little pat, a little little facile. Um, Although I think if we continue to overlook and run roughshod over our children's needs at some point, you you have to think about the emotional makeup and the psychological history of the person doing that. But yeah, a lot of it just has to do with what's easiest and with uh, pressures from the outside world, the expectations and assumptions of the, the folks around us. Um, and and the fears that I discussed in the chapter you you mentioned before. Um, a lot of us really don't trust children, and we feel that if they're if 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 we if we leave them um, to make decisions on their own, uh, they will always be bad decisions. That kids have to be socialized, meaning having good values crammed down their throats, that they have to be trained to adapt. And underneath that is not just a certain implicit view of children, but of human nature. I mean, and and, and by the way, this plays out not just in harsh, punitive parenting, but in the more modern form of parenting with rewards and praise. Good job! I really like the way you... I mean, this often reflects... the The more the voice gets all squeaky, you know, and saccharine like that, the darker the view of human nature. You know, for example, take people who think, well, of course, if a child does something nice, you have to praise her for doing it. I really like the way you shared your crayons with Janie. I mean, and if you say to people, this is problematic, first of all, it's it's appallingly manipulative and phony. Um, You're trying to train the child as if you were house training a puppy. You're not raising a child when you talk this way, offering a verbal doggy biscuit for doing something that impressed or pleased you. But if people become very flustered at the possibility of not doing that, you know, and and then you want to push that and say, well, why? And at some level, for many people, it's the belief that if I don't praise them or reward them for being nice, it will never happen again. It was a fluke. <laughs> um, that's why you have to offer the 
artificial inducement, the verbal doggy biscuit of your approval to get kids to be nice another time. So there's a very dark, cynical view of children and human nature that underlies not just punishing them, but rewarding them. And of course, as I try to play out in the book, punishments and rewards, bribes and threats are not opposite strategies. They're two sides of the same coin. They're both ways of doing things to kids instead of working with them. Yeah, no, I, I think that was that was a, another key point for me when I was reading the book. It was like, oh, yeah, you, you think of them so often as opposites. And you if you're trying to do the praise thing all the time, you're, you're often running away from the punishments. You know, you don't want to do punishments because praise is so much better. That's what you hear. But in, in reality, it's the same thing. And that was I really was impacted by that in the book. So. Um, good. I appreciate that. You know, for me, that process of thinking through what's wrong with rewards, including verbal rewards, but also, you know, stickers and, uh, food and money and grades and all the rest of it sort of happened in two stages. The first stage, uh, is in an earlier book you mentioned called punished by rewards. And there the basic argument went like this. Um, it doesn't matter how motivated people are to do things, including children. Rather, what matters is the kind of motivation. And psychologists distinguish between intrinsic motivation, which is where you do something because you get some gratification just from doing it, and extrinsic motivation, which means you get something outside the task, extrinsic to the task, like a reward for doing it. So, for example, it's very, very different for a child to read a book because he likes reading, or he likes this author, or he likes this topic. And on the other hand, to read a book because somebody's going to give him a prize or a grade or a praise for reading it. Well, it turns out that lots and lots of research shows that rewards aren't just inferior to intrinsic motivation. They actually corrode or destroy intrinsic motivation. The more you reward people for doing something, the more they tend to lose interest in whatever they had to do to get the reward. So if you give a child a good grade in school, research overwhelmingly shows those children are likely to lose interest in the learning itself compared to kids lucky enough to go to schools where they don't have grades. They have other better ways of informing parents what's going on. If you praise a child for being helpful, children actually become more selfish because you've taught them that the reason to help is not how you make that other kid feel, it's that you are going to get something for it, even if it's just recognition. So rewards undermine the intrinsic motivation we're trying to promote, just as punishments do. So that was, that was an, another book a while ago, the, the first case against rewards and praise. But later, I began to realize the news with rewards, including praise, was even worse. And that's what unconditional parenting was about. As the title reflects, there's another problem which has to do with conditionality. When you praise somebody, you are basically communicating, I'm giving you this attention, this acknowledgement, this approval, this love, only with strings attached. Only when you jump through my hoops, when I say good job to you, I'm saying, 
I'm going to show enthusiasm because of how you acted. So if you stop acting like that way, the acknowledgement, the approval, the attention, the care will go away. And that is the last thing that children need for healthy development. To say to kids, in effect, um, I'm, I love you because of what you do is the opposite of what they need. What they need is to be loved and accepted unconditionally just for who they are. So rewards turn out to be really to provide a double whammy. They undermine intrinsic motivation and they communicate conditional care. Yeah, I think that I, I, I mean, I agree with what you're saying 100%. I think that that the undermining and corroding of intrinsic motivation is to me the startling thing that as I, you know, you read that and you see the studies and it's like, wow, you don't realize the impact that that has. That's long term. That's, that's kind of hard to reverse if you are doing these practices from birth up to, you know, my kids are six years old and yeah, it's like, right. how do, you can't, those things are, are hard to undo as, as far as I could, I can assume, you know, and it, it, that's, that's kind of scary. <laughs> it is, but it's not impossible. Yeah. Um, it helps once the light bulb goes off and you realize, you see it, you look at it through a different lens to switch metaphors and realize praising kids is not, you know, a lot of people are just are encouraged to do that. You know, don't punish your kids, reward them. Don't, don't use a stick, use a carrot. Catch them do something, doing something right and then give them a doggy biscuit for doing it. And to realize that's just as manipulative um, and controlling, and it turns out to be counterproductive um, and bad in other sorts of ways, uh, that leads a lot of people to gulp. But when you see it that way, then suddenly when you hear, good job, all around you, it suddenly like becomes like nails scratching down a blackboard. It's impossible to just not hear it anymore. And if you're lucky enough to have a co-parent um, who hopefully shares this understanding and this desire to work with kids instead of doing things to them, uh, then you can check each other. Uh, you can converse. And in fact, even if you've been doing this to your kid for a while, if the kid's old enough, you can bring the child in on a conversation by having a really thoughtful dialogue about, you know, here's something I read or heard. I wonder if, what do you think about this? That, that um, sometimes, for example, if you if you praise people, uh, kids, for, for doing something, it makes them a little resentful, you know, or makes them, they, they act, they do, what, they do what you're telling them to get to praise, but then when there's nobody to praise or reward them, uh, they're much less likely to do it than they were to start with. Does that make yeah. any sense to you? And, and you can bring a child in on it. After all, if we want to shift from a doing-to style of parenting to a working-with style of parenting, that shift itself should not be done to children. You see what I mean? So you, mm. first you rewarded them, and now you're doing the abolition of rewards to them. Rather, if the child's old enough, you want to bring them in on the process and make it more respectful. Um, and by the way, the opposite of praise um, is not criticism, nor is it sullen silence. The opposite of praise which is a verbal reward, is unconditional acceptance. It means 
hugs and smiles and support and encouragement without strings attached. So uh, that's that's a shift in itself that's uh, unsettling, but but enormously liberating. Yeah, and I think the um, I was just trying to think in my head like what what are the other barriers or why why do people resort to that the behavior or that style other than it's you know all around you. Um, uh-huh. You know, I, just kind of unpacking that, I think, for, for my own life, it's it's understanding, okay, why am I doing it this way when I catch myself doing those right. things, the the quick punishments or feeling like obligly, obligated to give a praise. It's like it feels weird not doing it, you know? Like that's it does. just what everybody does. It really does. does. <laughs> of all the stuff that I, that I write about, um, I think the praise part is the hardest. It's harder than the ten- – Stop stopping with the tangible rewards, little stickers and gold stars and candy bars, and it's and and it's harder than getting away from punishment. Um, so it uh, you got to start by introspecting. What's my goal here? And I think with praise or verbal comments, there's a gray area here too. Um, I'm not saying you know we never say anything that expresses delight with kids, and of course we want to join them in celebrating. Uh, stuff when they're successful, but sometimes we can do it just by um, saying what we saw. You know, mm-hmm. when when my daughter was um, was quite young, she had a real facility for drawing, really enjoyed it. You know, um, but I, I'm not going to steal her pleasure by saying, "Oh, that's so beautiful! What a lovely, colorful drawing! I really like your use of." You know, with this this is training her to be less interested in drawing and to see drawing as a means to the end of getting my approval. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean I have to just stand there like a statue. You know, and I, one thing I can do is simply describe what I see. Ooh, there are toes on this animal. You weren't drawing toes a few weeks ago when you did bears. Mm. And, and that pulls her into the drawing she made instead of pulling her out of the drawing and into my face to see whether I liked it. And the second thing, besides just, and, and when, when my daughter, by the way, when she was, I don't know, like a year and a half old and managed to get up the stairs on her own for the first time, she turned around and looked at me and I said, you did it. And that's <laughs> all I said. I didn't tell her how to feel about it. Oh, you're such a good walker. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Good job. You know, I want to do her the, you know, the courtesy, the pay her the respect of letting her decide how to feel about what she did, but to know I'm there. Mm-hmm. And I noticed. And the other thing you can do, instead of offering uh, judgments, that's what praise is, by the way. Praise is a judgment. It happens to be a positive judgment, but that's not what's important. What's important is that we're judging, evaluating kids, which is rarely what they need. But the other thing we can do is ask questions. You know, like, how did you figure out how to draw toes? <laughs> yeah. Or why did why did you share your brownie uh, with with Jacqueline? Because I know you really love brownies, and you gave some of them away. So I'm not telling her how um, how much I approve of what she did. I'm in these cases asking her to reflect on how she did what she did or why she did what she did. I'm not going to do that every time. Sometimes it's you don't have to say anything. Just shut up and watch be there. But sometimes those questions are are very useful for promoting reflection and connection. And you never have to have to treat kids like pets. 
with the tip. That, again, though, to come back to where we started half an hour ago, that shift is based on the assumption that we want kids to grow up to be autonomous, to be reflective people, to be compassionate people, uh, to be happy, fulfilled people, um, as opposed to wanting them to do whatever we tell them to do and be obedient. So you're not going to shift any of the methods unless you're damn sure that you're ready to shift the goal. Yeah. No, I think that's that's critical. That's that's where that's that's what ties it all together. You know, is understanding that. Yep. And thanks for listening to the show. You can find out more about us and sign up to receive updates at twocentdad.com. If you liked what you heard or just want to say hi, you can shoot me an email at mike at twocentdad.com. Please leave a review on iTunes if you like the show. It helps us to get the word out to the most people possible. And the show is made possible through the support of EC Group International building software teams since 1999.